Chapter Eight of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Eight: The Enchantress of Kooralbyn. Honoria put on a straw hat which was lying on the veranda and, leading Janie by the hand, passed beneath the vine trellis and through a wicket gate on to the hill which rose to a peak above the house and sloped in wave-like mounds downwards to the plain. Here in the shadow of the ridge it was always green and usually cool honoria and dyson strolled side by side to a little knoll over which a giant apple-tree extended its long branches hoary with the greyish-green moss coveted by janie's childish heart it's like black solomon's beard cried the child clutching at a pendant bough honoria seated herself upon the bank while dyson filled janie's pinafore with moss and sent her to the gully to gather fringed violets before the blossoms closed at midday but what for mr dyson cried janie insistently what for do the flowers shut up when it is time for my dinner ask angela said dyson she knows all about the flowers now run away and do not come back till we call you there was a crisp determination in his manner which made the child look at him wonderingly but she departed and he was alone with honoria though he seemed outwardly calm his pulses were throbbing fast she had all the sweet unconsciousness of a coquette the little episode with janie had filled dyson's heart with fresh longing a woman incapable of love he thought could not have smiled so tenderly upon the child the softened expression still lingered on her face as she idly plucked the violets which grew among the grass beside her and heaped them on her lap presently she threw off her hat and leaning her head against the rough bark of the tree looked up through a screen of leaves to the blue sky above this satisfies me she said as though brokenly taking up the thought which had been in her mind during her previous conversation with dyson this contents me for a time i have no poetic sympathy with nature the flowers have no voice for me as they have for angela i prefer intercourse with humanity but there is a warm delight in such a day as this in the humming of insects above and around me in the flutter of the leaves as the breeze stirs the branches in the feeling that every blade of grass is growing and the smallest ant enjoying existence that seems to still my unsatisfied longing for something different i often come here with janie when i am out of spirits and i forget for a little while that i myself want to grow and live dyson knew not how to reply he had fancied for a moment that her thoughts were travelling with his own and now he found them far upon another road 
The air-like barrier which always seemed to divide them had never been more keenly felt by him. She looked down and caught his wistful glance, meeting it with her frank smile at once seductive and chilling he longed to know how much of her unconsciousness was genuine but in some of her moods he found her quite incomprehensible he could not penetrate the dramatic instinct which in her temperament carried emotion to the pitch demanded by the part she was playing but never hurried her beyond it you said just now he exclaimed that you wished me to stay in leichardt's town this winter to be near you to live your life i know you too well to read your speeches literally but i should like to find out how much you do care for my society i have an idea that you are not quite as false to me as you have been to some other men and that when you say gracious things to me you do sometimes when you are in the vein there is a grain of meaning in them honoria nodded that is quite true i look upon you as my best friend though i know quite well that there are many points in which i don't please you perhaps if you liked me better you would not see my faults i should see no faults in you said maddox if you had the crowning virtue of womanly sensibility what she cried you think me strong-minded you are very much mistaken in your idea of my character i have no force of will whatever i think that you are cruel said maddox it gives you pleasure to see your fellow-creatures suffer in other words i am a coquette it would be more to the purpose if you said that men were fools the last time that i was here said dyson you were doing your best to make a fool of an unfortunate young man whom i sincerely pitied may i ask how long it has been your habit to take midnight strolls with your admirers oh that has been rankling in your mind and now you have come to scold me were you concerned upon my account or upon that of the unfortunate young man well there will not be another opportunity for compromising mr bing that tete-a-tete by the lagoon finished his business he is going to england in april unless indeed he commits suicide before the ship sails come she added you must not blame me if i prefer being amused out of doors to being stifled within in an atmosphere of prosiness and vulgarity is it my fault that angela poor child does not interest me that mr ferris's rhapsodies irritate me and that aunt pen's twaddle bores me can i help it if my father's habits and manners jar upon me i am odious for saying this but it is true my nature is pitched in a different key to his it may be higher or lower i often think that it is lower i hope that you are not shocked at my frankness but surely we know each other too well to play at propriety i wish that you would always be frank with me let me know you as you really are that is all i want i can see that your temperament is at war with your companions and surroundings you are fitted for a higher life and your nature is so impressionable 
externals affect you deeply that is your misfortune but i am grieved to hear that there is a want of sympathy between you and your father you are the motive of his existence is that so said honoria softly poor papa i don't deserve to be so much cared for yet she added thoughtfully if his affection is anything more than pride in my appearance and a general satisfaction in me as a possession which contributes to his sense of importance he does not let me see it i suppose that we are neither of us demonstrative of our feelings he is very kind to me it pleases him to see me well dressed courted and admired he gives me plenty of money he is indulgent of my fancies but there it ends i am only a part of his success not of his inner life he has educated me above his level we have nothing in common i cannot tell him what is passing through my mind nor does he speak to me unreservedly about himself it is as though we had each something to hide i have been alone ever since my childhood but what is the use of troubling about me you cannot make me either better or worse go on talking about yourself i want to feel certain that you will be minister for lands honoria said dyson while a sudden flame darted from his eyes what should i care whether you were good or bad so long as i could make you love me it has been in my mind to speak for a long time but i wanted to be more sure of you and so i waited and watched till i am ashamed of myself for hanging upon you like a dog and now i have determined to do so no longer suspense is unendurable the real reason why i am doubtful about accepting the appointment in the ministry is because if i do so i must be brought closer to you i should be on a continual rack i could not escape from the sight or thought of you if you cannot love me it will be best that i should hide myself in the bush or go out west and try exploring again that would be weak said honoria quietly i had imagined you different i thought that you were strong a red flush passed over dyson's face and he did not reply for a moment very well he said at least you shall not say that i am weak i was right you are a cruel woman honoria bent a little towards him looked at him swiftly then drew back against the tree i don't want to seem cruel she said but i must think it is not possible that you can be taken by surprise said dyson i have been for two years at your beck and call you must have seen into my heart during that time sometimes you have been more than kind sometimes indifferent i have never felt sure of you for a day indeed i have often doubted whether you could love strange to say it is your very egotism which leads me to hope i know that i have little enough to offer an ambitious woman like you but i think that i understand you well enough to make you happy if i married you said she quickly as she spoke breaking into pieces of different lengths a twig that she had picked up from the ground i should live just the same kind of life if anything it would be tamer and i should have no new sensations good heavens exclaimed dyson what do you mean 
"'I dare say that you'll think me a bold sort of girl,' continued Honoria, looking at him levelly with her large eyes. "'I don't know whether I am or not, but why should I not say what is in my mind?' "'You doubt whether I have any capacity for loving. Perhaps not. But there is a kind of feeling that I should like to know if it be possible.' I have dreamed of it. I am sure that it exists. If I married you, I should go on dreaming of it, but I should never know it. And yet, if it wasn't for that, I think I might be happy with you. It would be a placid, monotonous existence, but it ought to satisfy a woman. I am not easily contented. I am always wanting more, more than I have got." I have thought of it a great deal. Of course, I knew what you wished. I have sometimes fancied that it might be. Now I am certain that it never can be. There is no use in talking of it. Stay, urged Dyson. You say that you have thought of it a great deal, but perhaps always from your present point of view. You have not considered that when a woman marries, all her interests, her thoughts and feelings must change. She becomes quite a different person. It is the quiet inward joy that makes her life complete. No, no, cried Honoria, mine would be utterly incomplete. I need passion, excitement. I have tried to look at the matter from another point of view. I have observed the married people I have met. They think themselves happy. Their lives would suffocate me. I should hate my husband in the same way that I detest men when they make themselves ridiculous by falling in love with me. Or if I did not hate him, I should merely tolerate him, which would be worse." There must be passions that are real, or they would not be written of in books and acted on the stage. Not that I believe in sentiment. To be sentimental is as bad as being humdrum. But I like the quick stirring of my pulses, the quiver which goes through my body when there is a crisis of emotion. What is the use of living unless one can gauge one's capacity for sensation? Dyson was silent for several moments, then he said very quietly, "'What you tell me decides my fate. I should be a mean-spirited creature if I tormented you any longer. Our lives must lie apart. I must scrunch out the thought of you and school myself to indifference. I would not marry you as you are. You would always be hankering after what with me you could never have, and we should both be wretched. You are right. You will never love me. I give up striving to gain what is hopeless. His tone raised in her mind an uneasy suspicion of his desertion. His constrained utterance was the mask to deep agitation, but this she hardly realized. He had been her slave she could not bear to release him as she regarded him with the critical eyes of a possible wife she asked herself whether it were indeed well that she should let him go there was in his appearance and manner just those traces of hard living and rude service that slight roughness of feature and lack of delicate refinement in language and bearing that jarred upon her sensibilities and made her less awake 
to the energy and reliability of his character and the manliness and frank nobility of his expression but for that troublesome fastidiousness which demanded an aristocratic brow smooth hands and european address she might have acknowledged him as a lover of whom she might justly feel proud honoria was neither more nor less than a woman she bent forward intercepting his glance till he was forced to meet her smile and said coquettishly you give me up very readily i thought that you prided yourself upon your tenacity of purpose how little you know me he exclaimed bitterly a definite aim i would follow for years but there is something unmanly in the pursuit of a shadow your love is no more to me than that it is better that i should face the truth after realizing that you were capable of passion i could not be content with the pale attachment that i know is all you can give me to me cold kisses and lukewarm sympathy would be more insupportable than open dislike but you think i do not suffer you know nothing of the stabbing pain that has struck my heart when on a sudden as though by a flash of light i have seen your indifference but i comforted myself with the thought that i fared no better and no worse than any other man in my place now i feel that i must tear you from me even though i bleed in doing so disappointment has always been my portion and what does it matter if i die as solitary as i've lived there are other objects in the world for a man besides loving and marrying do you remember a little photograph of yourself that you gave me before i went out on that miserable gundaroo expedition i have worn it in a locket hung on my watch-chain ever since once it turned the point of a black spear that will show you how even as a child i cared for you i hardly knew how much i loved you till i was stricken down with fever in the bush i thought that i was at my last gasp god it was lonely you know what it must be to die of fever and thirst out there we had been for two days without water and the men were all out searching in my delirium i saw you standing beside me with your sweet face bent over mine and your long brown hair floating over your shoulders it was like the vision of an angel i could not die while you looked at me you stayed beside me till the men came back they had found a water-hole and as i revived with the drops they poured down my throat you vanished after that i constantly thought of you and though i'm not a man to believe in supernatural influences i've always looked upon that fancy of my sickness as a sort of omen that some day your life would be a part of mine it's not to be so and i'll make a fool of myself no longer shall i look for janie stay a moment said honoria janie is down by the gully happy with her flowers mr maddox she added her manner changing from coquetry to tenderness with one of those capricious alternations which were peculiar to it i'm sorry that i grieved you if you understood me better you would know what i feel it would be like giving up one's chances in a lottery when one was certain of holding the winning number 
like one's heart stopping suddenly when it had been beating violently with expectation if you would let us go on as we were before for a time i i can't bind myself now i want to see more of the world of other people no said dyson we cannot go back i meant that our talk to-day should put us on a different footing towards each other i have said my say you have spoken what was in your mind if your heart ever changes i shall see it soon enough but as far as the future goes i shall put from me all hope of making you my wife if you want a friend i'll be one to you but i will try not to be your lover and i'll keep away from you as much as possible honoria jumped up from the grass her cheeks aflame but at this moment nearer loving him than she had ever been in her life but as she watched him move away she felt as though she almost hated him he had placed her in a false position he had made her feel humiliated and resentful she turned her back upon him and walked hurriedly across the grass calling janey in sharper tones than were her wont the child ran to her sister her pinafore and her tiny hands filled with wild flowers and when she saw dyson departing cried loudly to him to return but he walked determinedly on towards the stable and bade cobra ball fetch out his horse End of chapter eight